We're starting things off with a word from our sponsor. Since 1998, DVD Netflix has delivered more than 5 billion DVD and Blu-ray rentals to movie lovers in every American zip code and to military bases around the world in their famous, iconic red envelopes. With an extensive library of titles from the early 1900s to today and shows from such premium networks as HBO and Showtime, DVD Netflix is a must for physical media lovers. Featuring a variety of different plans starting at as little as $8.99 per month, it's a great way to experience DVDs and Blu-rays with special features and commentary tracks you won't find anywhere else. A member for over 20 years, so well before I ever began working with the service as an official blogger on acting or as a DVD, Netflix, Twitter, film discussion host, I think it's a terrific way to keep our vintage video store memories alive and support the physical media that we love so much. So be sure to check out DVD Netflix for yourself at dvd.com. Now, on with the show. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Returning to the podcast today, we have Mr. Jordan Harper, one of my dearest friends, this podcast's very first guest, and my Pandemic Movie Club and Game Night Crew buddy. Jordan is the Edgar Award-winning author of She Rides Shotgun, Love and Other Wounds, The Last King of California, and Everybody Knows. Additionally, a screenwriter and producer of such shows as The Mentalist, Gotham, and Hightown, Jordan crafted one of the most beautiful pilots for L.A. Confidential, which CBS stupidly did not pick up, but was so acclaimed that he screened and did a virtual panel on the show at the ATX TV Festival. A Missouri native, and yes, that will come up later today in our conversation, Jordan currently lives in L.A. along with his talented screenwriter girlfriend, Megan Moston Brown, and adorable dog, Elroy So thank you so much for being here, Jordan. How are you doing? We are recording this on day 100 of the WGA strike. And I know you have been out there since the beginning. So tell me what's going on. Well, you know, I think that we're all really tired, but we're all like, uh, there's absolutely no thought of quitting. It's just that Mm -hmm. quitting is, is just not an option for us. And so you know, we're all tired, but today was a party. There was a brass band marching up and down the side of the studio at Warner Brothers, which I've I've done almost my entire strike at Warner Brothers. Uh, my partner Megan is a, is a captain there uh, for the WGA, and so, and also that's where both of our careers started. And I, I have a deep love for Warner Brothers, which is what makes me so sad about what's happening there now because it's just a repository of so much of our culture, and and it's it's yeah. you know you get excited when you see the Warner Brothers logo, and 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 even. Now I still do too. Like even seeing Barbie this week, and I saw that the pink, you know, Warner Brothers. It's like, oh, Warner Brothers. And then I go out and I march in front of it every, every day. So we're tired. We're glad to have the actors there, and and um, and and nobody's, you know, nobody's talking about quitting at all. That's just like I said, we we can't. We're fighting for our careers and for the careers of everybody who comes after us. So um, I would rather be doing something else. I would really rather be writing. 
Um, but yeah. this is what we're doing. So um, I'm getting a tremendous amount of steps in, you know. Yes, you are. My goodness. Um, you know, and you are being close to Warner Brothers and in Burbank there. You're right by our buddy Rob Belushi's place, Prime Pizza. Yes, Rob has. Good. It's great. And Rob has been great about bringing pizza to the strike lines for people. Um, and uh, I've, yes, I've eaten more, more of Rob's pizza recently than, than I should, but I will continue to do so. It's very good pizza. <laughs> and we were actually, when we were picketing near prime pizza, we were using it as, as our secret bathroom too. Um, the bathroom of prime pizza. That made it sound like I was using prime pizza's bathroom, which I wouldn't do. That's <laughs> not the kind of person I am. Um, it is a damn good bathroom. And, it, you know, yes. And, and it's accessible from the outside. So you don't have to mm -hmm. walk through the building and do that kind of. Uh, but, you know, all the local Burbank businesses have been really supportive of us. And and um, and everybody, you know, we do it every day and people honk and cheer. And, uh, you know, I think we're in a, we're in a moment in our country and, and probably world's history where there's a lot of fed up people in a lot of different parts of life. And, and it feels good to be some small way fighting back so you know you just try and remember that and and remember you know we've made a lot of really great friends during the strike which was not something we were anticipating but um you know i think this is going to be one of the you know uh, pivot points of of mine and megan's life in a lot of ways that we didn't think about and ways that we did but like this is there's just going to be we're always going to remember this uh we're always going to remember who was there with us and uh, you know, no matter what we win, because we're going to win something and uh, no matter what we win, like this is it's it's good to have been in the war, if that makes sense. It does. Yes. And it's great that you're you know, I don't know if the studios know what they're doing, really, by uh, letting SAG be striking at the same time as you guys, because writers are talking to actors now and there's no directors or no mediators <laughs> there and so you know things could be happening projects could be uh you that's know. very true i ran in today i ran into my friend drew powell who is an actor who uh uh i've been in everything i've ever done drew has been in from uh he was on the mentalist he was on gotham he did a guest spot on hightown uh, and then he was going to be, he was cast and he was in the pilot for LA Confidential. So uh, I love to use Drew and everything I do. And I was talking today and telling him about the stuff that I want to do after the strike and saying, Drew, come on, like, uh, yeah, let's make it happen. So, um, yes, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, um, celebrity spotting. There's a lot of learning that it's not as good as prime pizza, but the Costco brand pizza that people bring every day is actually pretty good as well. Okay. Um, yeah. I've eaten a lot of Bob's Big Boy, which uh, Drew Carey is is thoughtfully picking up the tab for for every writer in town. So, we, you know, we don't do it all the time. But uh, if you go to Bob's Big Boy and show them your uh, Writer's Guild card, you eat for free. So that's amazing. I went to Bob's Big Boy for the first time uh, recently when I was in L.A. Um, yeah. And that was amazing. And I found out later that I guess that was where they shot part of heat i did heat. not know this we did not sit in the the heat booth but it was still awesome it was a saturday night so the place was packed which was oh, really yeah. cool yeah i've never i've never sat in the heat booth but there's a little plaque up front if you look and uh and yeah it's it's where david lynch used to go there every day and drink a milkshake like it is a classic classic uh diner 
And uh, and so, you know, we try and eat there. Uh, it's very kind of Drew, Drew Carey's been picking up the tab. That's nice. Uh, there, I've seen his estimate. I don't know if it's true. They're saying he's spending 50 grand a week feeding riders. Wow. Um, he's doing it at Bob's Big Boy and also Swingers on the West Side, which is oh, a great okay. diner in West Hollywood. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, he's he Drew Carey is one of those guys who uses his money the way that you hope you would use it if you were a rich guy. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And you have been spotting people. Um, he, Jordan is part of a group chat with a bunch of good friends. And so we'll hear like, oh, I saw Sean Penn. And so that's very cool. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I Sean Penn is definitely the the, the top. Um, and yeah, everybody from Kirsten Dunst to Brian Cranston. It's uh, if you want to if you want to see celebrities uh, come out, pick it with us because they're out here. Uh, yeah. I, saw, I saw Alfred Molina today. That's a very That's solid, awesome. very yes. solid. Nobody's going to complain Alfred about Molina. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm embarrassed that when I think of him, I think of Dr. Octopus. I'm sure that there are better roles that should come to mind, but he's really good as Dr. Octopus. So, yes. there you go. Yeah, he's a great actor. He can do it all, basically. That's right. That's right. Yes. And, of course, Everybody Knows came out this year. And um, I got to hang out with Jordan again earlier in the year, which is mm-hmm. great. Uh, I went from a few years knowing you only uh, through Zoom to seeing you a handful of times in the last like calendar year, which has been marvelous and looking forward to hanging out more times in person again. Um, but I loved Everybody Knows. And I know you just finished working on a book. Is that I am about a week out from finishing the okay. rough draft of the follow-up to Everybody Knows. Uh, and we'll see. The The title is We Do Violence. And uh, it is set in the world of Everybody Knows with some of the same characters, not the same protagonists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really, really dark and crazy. I felt like um, uh, delineating myself from a lot of the other uh, fiction out there right now uh, by uh, going darker. And uh, it's not the darkest thing that's ever been written, but I'm just, I'm letting myself off the hook. It's pulp this time. I'm just doing pulp. Okay. It is pulp. All right. I'm excited about that. And I was telling Jordan off air that it seems like every month almost um, the month will begin and I'll have like maybe one person on the schedule or I had kind of a hole in the schedule and uh, Jordan was kind enough to you know, dive in with me and talk about some great movies here. And then um, I think, you know, he's trendy. He said yes. And then all of a sudden I started hearing back from people. So we have a bunch of great new episodes that are going to be um, taking place. And we're going to hit our 200th episode in a couple, which is very exciting. I'm not sure what order these will all release in, but as I'm recording this with Jordan. And when we were trying to think of a topic idea, I brought up the fact that when we did the murder can be fun episode, that became one of our most popular episodes to this day, too. Jordan was my first guest ever, uh, and he um, is always somebody whose episodes do very well. You guys love him as much as I do. Yes. Uh, Fan favorite. You know, we do need to he said he was going to get a neck tattoo. It hasn't really happened yet. I, we got to hold him to that. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. But it was cool to come up with a new topic idea. He has been enjoying video stores, vidiots. Um, he lives near. And so we came up with this cool idea because he wanted to involve a film that is near and dear to his heart, Roadhouse. And that 
allowed me to bring in a film another like you know so bad it's good kind of movie that I enjoy from the same year which is Black Rain it just kind of grew from there so Video Store Weekend 89 is kind of a possible title that we're playing with but talk to me about video stores and this era um yeah well look this is not a this is not a paid endorsement I want to be clear at the top that I I am not being paid by Vidiots but um <laughs> as you said Vidiots is a video store that was opened up in Los Angeles for a long time and closed its doors I think 8 years ago or so mm. uh in Santa Monica and uh, for a while now for a few years they've been rehabbing and refurnishing an old movie theater that had at one point been converted into a church uh here in my neighborhood of Eagle Rock and they finally opened their doors a couple of months ago, and uh, my life has been changed. My life has completely been changed by having a video store within, it's a 10 minute walk, two minute drive to my house. I have canceled over half of our streaming services that we had. Um, and awesome. yeah, and you know, look, one of the things that like I keep thinking about when we came up with this topic is that like, like, like nostalgia can be a poisonous force. It's reactionary. It says go back instead of go forward. You always have to be careful about it. But there are things in particularly the modern world we're living in that I think we have to look at and ask ourselves, like, was this better? And, you know, mm -hmm. so often in American life, we will choose convenience over anything. And that's basically when Netflix took over for the video store. That was when they were even just mailing out discs, which was a great service. And I was, a, to be clear, jumped right on that bandwagon. Um we all thought that was better. And and look, it is better for some people or some, if you don't live near video stores or you don't mm -hmm. have those opportunities. So I'm not dismiss, dismissing that or dismissing streaming altogether, but I am just saying that going to a video store that is curated and walking through the aisles and picking out movies and taking them home and then having those be the movies you have until you go back to the store yeah. is great. And it is brought me a, a lot of happiness over the strike has been um, going to Vidiots. I signed up for a special membership where I can have two movies out all the time for free. And I'm going to make that thing pay for itself. And, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, over, like I said, over basically kind of in tandem with the strike has been me rediscovering the actual joy of of, of the in-person video store much as i just rediscovered bookstores as you mm -hmm. buy when you go to a bookstore you buy different books than you do when you're browsing online yep and you do the same thing with movies you you're, you're less captured by this algorithm and more either following you know curiosities that you have that aren't just and look i love the criterion channel i love movie but their power to control the conversation right now is a little wild as compared mm -hmm. to like go to the video store and all of their directors are there, you mm -hmm. know? So I've been doing uh Kiyoshi Kurosawa. I did a very deep dive into his films. I did a very deep dive into right now I'm in the middle of like a rounding out my Kinji Fukusaku um, uh, viewing, uh, trying to get him up into my very top directors on my letterbox. Um, and you're when juking your stats. I'm juking my stats, but I'm watching the films. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, but not just that, but also, you know, Megan and I have been looking for movies and that aren't on streaming that you can yeah. just go and, you know, things like Network or uh, that was a big one that uh, L.A. Story, the Steve, Martin, uh, Steve yeah. Martin's L.A. Story, not available on streaming. And, and so 
look, and then we started talking about Roadhouse and, and you, we, we started looking at 1989 as a year to talk about. And it just made me think back to that age and, and like that idea of it's Friday night and you go to the video store and back then they were VHSs and you would get like, maybe you get your, your, your pepperoni pizza and your grape soda and mm-hmm. a stack of videos. And, you know, we're, right now what we're talking about, it, it's 1989. These are the new releases. Yes. Um, and it was a great year for pretty good movies, if that's... Yes. I mean, there were some great movies. Do the Right Thing came out in 1989. So I know. They... Sex, Lies, and Videotape and Say Anything. There were some, you know, classics yeah. there. But then there were also the... Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Which sometimes, and this is the thing about the video store era, is is that sometimes a three and a half movie... This three and a half star movie is better than a five star movie. <laughs> And and I think that's what when you're talking about like a video store weekend, that's what you're talking about. And again, can streaming give you this? To be fair, all the movies we're going to talk about, except for Roadhouse, I watched on streaming this week because okay. you know I I have the uh, again not a paid endorsement, the very nice uh, uh, Vinegar Syndrome 4K of Roadhouse. Highly recommended if this is your thing. Um, but I still think it's different. It's different to have those that stack of movies by the VCR and 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 mm-hmm. that you, you know, watch the coming attractions and you, I don't know. Again, there's definitely some nostalgia in there, and, and I'm not. But I think that that there's something so great about that era and these kind of movies that the the cliche now is they don't make movies like this anymore, and that's just a basic fact. And and we can explore yeah. what's better and what's worse about the the modern era but i think we can pretty confidently say even though i know that there's a roadhouse movies in the works i know that they just made another bill and ted's that i haven't seen i haven't Um, either no but also i don't want to see it and i will Mm -hmm. watch the roadhouse remake maybe but like but that's different than roadhouse getting made like yes the new version of what roadhouse is is not gonna be a movie that small and that weird and that pulpy and that violent and sexy, like none of those. No. Um, and it's not going to have Ben Gazzara in it. And, and so like, you know, that, that's kind of what we're exploring here. And I just, but again, it's, it's also just the joy, not of cinema, but of movies. Of, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think that's what we're going to get into here. And, and I'm curious to see how you felt about, about some of the movies that, that we're going to talk about, but, um, there's a good stack of videos, in my opinion. A really good stack of videos. And it's kind of that, you know, nostalgic feeling of like it being Friday night. I would go home and like finish doing my homework right away. So that way you had all weekend to do whatever you wanted or watch your movies. And uh, I do have to say when we're talking about paid endorsements, you know, I work with DVD Netflix. And so they are a sponsor. And I love that service. But you know, it isn't the same as going to the video store and wandering around because I would find these weird movies that maybe you weren't going to see at the theater near you or, or just some of them, you know, like, I loved the 90s era. So did Jordan with like the independent film actors. And, you know, there would be the direct to videos or the the walking and talking kind of movies. And we weren't going to be seeing them at the multiplex or anything. And you might not even know that they were going to be available. We got like, you know, premiere and entertainment weekly and stuff. But still, you'd always find little 
treasures and like little things that you would fall for um, that were like disasters, but you still had fun with them. You find them at the video store. So there's just something fun about wandering the aisles that that I do miss. And so I am jealous of the Vidiots experience. Next time I'm in LA, I'm going to have to go with you and we're just going to have to browse and like mm-hmm. do a Vidiots uh, night. That would be a lot of fun. Um, I think this is a really fun uh, quartet of films that we chose. We went with Roadhouse, of course, and Black Rain. Also, Gleaming the Cube, which is another film that Jordan loves a lot. I was in the Pandemic Movie Club with Jordan, and this one would get a lot of shout outs. <laughs> and then uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, of course. So I think we should probably kick it off with Roadhouse. You Happy are to. one of my three Missouri boys that were in the Pandemic Movie Club. So I feel like you can't really talk about Roadhouse. I mean, you can. But with someone who isn't from Missouri and and also you're also talking to a Minnesotan, Kelly Lynch is a Minnesotan. So when I watch the movie, all I can hear and I love her gorgeous woman, talented actress, but I can just hear the Minnesota and her accent when she's playing this, you know, Ozarks woman. So it's a lot of fun. It's trash tastic is the word I like to say when when it comes to Roadhouse, you have dance karate. You have Sam Elliott just like stealing every scene he's in. I love that you brought up Ben Gazzara because how cool is it that you have like somebody from a Cassavetes movie in Roadhouse? Like yeah. that wouldn't even happen today. You'd get some like UFC guy or something. So it's great, right? Oh, it's just, you know, it is it is pure id cinema on, on every level from like just the, and I'm sorry, I forget the name of the blues mu- musician who, who anchors the film. Um, Jeff Healy? Jeff Healy, thank you. Um, you know, from that like blues rock to just kind of the um, the trashiness of every single person involved. Uh, ben Gazzara's <laughs> girlfriend, yeah, who who is almost given an arc, but then they kind of go, "Oh, never mind. We're not gonna. We're not gonna no. have an arc." Um, <laughs> she's just there to shake it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, what I'm saying is like they 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 show you that she is is at one point they show you that she is abused by him. Yeah, yeah. Um, when when. Patrick Swayze's character comes in and, and, and sees her with a black eye. Yeah. yeah just, they never bring that up again. No. <laughs> that was just <laughs> that was just sauce. But like there's so much of this movie that is just sauce. It's um so it's set in Jasper, Missouri, which is outside of Kansas City. Not not the Ozarks, but just like okay. rural rural yeah. Missouri. Uh it, the real Jasper is population 800 people. Oh now, wow. You cannot make that movie make sense. What is Jasper? Why is there a like multimillionaire with a mansion who somehow gets that <laughs> from bleeding a town of less than a thousand people dry? Um, where are these people? Kind of, I mean, I guess the assumption is that they have built this roadhouse. And now that it is a cool place to go, people are coming in from Kansas City. That's sort of the only um, explanation uh, for for it. But it is um, it is a locale and a time that uh it just boils it just boils you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it is it's just there are dry movies and there are wet movies and this movie is soaking wet and (laughs) um, and uh, you know like i'm i'm hesitant to even bring up sam elliott this early in talking about it because i just could talk about him oh god um, yeah for our i mean patrick swayze is a beautiful man Mm -hmm. with, with with a gorgeous head of hair that we will see replicated uh, in Black Rain, I, I would say less successfully on Michael Douglas's head, but, you know, opinions can vary on that. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, whatever. But 
but Sam. Sam Elliott, who is only 42, by the way, in that movie. Oh my God, he's my age. You know, what was so bad is I made the joke like I would have gone home with Sam Elliott. And some woman goes, I guess if you like men who look like old timey prospectors. And part of me was like, damn it. Yes, I do. Yes. I I guess there could be somebody who could look at him in that movie and not think that he looks fucking great. But I, I how? Yeah. What are you talking about? Like that salt and pepper like hair I that he know. has. Oh, and he's just so charming. He's always like, it's a wink at the camera. Yeah. I, I kind of classified it as, you know, he's the movie's Mercutio, essentially, where the writer, like midway through, had to go. He's the most charismatic person for Miles. He's got to go. So we need to kill him off. Yes. It is. Why, I think that's a great analogy because he is so much more interesting. Yes. And, 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 and again, Patrick Swayze is a movie star. Oh, amazing. Yeah. 100%. But there's just something about his swagger. And mm-hmm. I think maybe that's it is a question of like, you know, um, the the frankly ludicrous, you know, position of the film, which is a guy who works as a bouncer, A, <laughs> could become, you know, this highly sought after and B, would a pre- approach it with sort of a like a warrior sort of like cliched samurai warrior ethos. I know um, he was a philosophy major. And, yeah. Philosophy major. Pain don't <laughs> hurt and, and all of that. Uh, which is fun for the movie, but like, um, is much less. Of, yeah, I, I, you, you see, as you see, Sam Elliott's pubes in this movie. <laughs> like, you don't see a lot of pubes in in, in movies of this, uh, you know, uh, ilk. It's just uh, not something that happens very often, and it's sort of shocking when you see them because he just pulls his pants down. And there's Sam Elliott's uh, pubes. Okay. Jordan yeah. has done some, you know, scholarly <laughs> research on the subject. Yeah, I just, I've just been a, I've been a person in this world, and I can tell yeah. you, you just, um, <laughs> there are no pubes in Gleaming the Cube. Um, there are none. Yeah, and uh, I do think it, it is wild to me because you know Patrick Swayze was a big star. Sam Elliott was never that big of a star, right? He never was. I mean, he's never Patrick Swayze. But the fact no. that they didn't green light a um, and obviously, these are all spoilers. Like, yeah, come on, yeah. you've, seen, you've seen Roadhouse. Come on. Um, yeah, what know, are you doing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the fact that they did not greenlight a sequel to this film starring Sam Elliott is wild. And and the fact... A prequel. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I here's what I would say. Go ahead and make it a sequel. You're saying... I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, he dies in the film. I don't give a shit. Just, <laughs> just, just make another movie he's alive why don't care yeah don't it's his care brother, god damn it we it's don't just, care just reboot it just reboot it it's yes. just sam elliott now he's at a different bar he's like he's at that military bar where the strippers all want to fuck him and of course they do <laughs> um he's so good in it. and this is why i was hesitant to bring him up at the beginning because he's he he's so magnetic it's just one of my absolute favorite performances and i do think like you know um yeah, the Mercutio of it is a great way of putting that because he just blows in, blows back out. He he doesn't barely win a fight. Like he he's really no. Um, I wonder. I feel like maybe he just wasn't as limber as say Patrick Swayze was, yeah. and, and was not up to it. Um, and like, like this is gonna be bad to say, but um, you know, 
I mean, because Annette Benning was cast, and then they recast Annette Benning with Kelly Lynch because Annette Benning and Patrick Swayze didn't have enough chemistry, allegedly. Oh. And um, you know, Kelly Lynch and Swayze do, but the scene where she is dancing with Sam Elliott, she is way more into it. And it she just you can see like he lights a fire, she, you know, is responding to it. He's got it going on. And, uh, you know, it is Swayze is a movie star. He's a beautiful man. Everything we have said. The thing that makes me laugh. I mean, this sex scene just is hilarious to me because, I mean, there's acrobatics. I mean, we're not going to get into the logistics of the thing, but it is really funny. But the thing that cracks me up the most is at some point a is it Paramount? I believe so. I think so. Um, yes. MGM, um, music maybe? supervisor. Oh, no, I'm trying to remember uh, who was the studio behind uh, Dirty Dancing, but it doesn't really matter because some music supervisor is like, damn it, he's going to get it on to the same song that he got it on to in Dirty Dancing. So from now on, and I love Otis Redding. But whenever I hear These Arms of Mine by Otis Redding, it's like Patrick Swayze in a movie is going to fuck someone. He's yep. going to fuck someone. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we don't have we don't have to do the choreography of it as a discussion. <laughs> but like there is a moment where you're like, there needs to be some like words exchanged, if not for the purpose of consent, then at least yeah. for the purposes of ability. Like, hey, can, can you do this? Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a very bumpy rock wall. Yeah, that this, can't be oh, comfortable. And then okay? there's like, <laughs> am I just doing all of my weight under you? I mean, there's yeah. so many, there's logistics need to be, I mean, even laughter, like it's just a weird, weird sex scene. Yeah. It really is. But, you know, again, you know, the movie has a sense of humor about itself. Yes. But not so much that it's like winking and not so much that somebody, you know, the modern style of that is for somebody to just straight out call out the, the movie as being ludicrous. Like, uh, I can't believe that you're a bouncer who's doing all this stuff. And you're like <laughs> a warrior. Isn't that funny? Like, it's not like that sort no, of winking no. meta, but like, there's just, there's so many good little jokes of like, uh, you know, the, the graffiti <laughs> on the wall of like for a good fuck. And the owner turns it into Buick. Yes, That's like Buick. A, the no. the 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 bar fights are both funny and and pulpy and and um turning down the anesthetic makes me laugh i love that as somebody who has like a lot of chronic health issues and i do actually carry around like paperwork essentially mm -hmm. but it's just like in a wallet and it's a few pieces of paper he carries around like a file of his entire medical history but what's bananas is she's able to NYU yes. you went to you, you know <laughs> like does he carry like his whole bio his, his CV is in there his CV <laughs> yes. is in there with the yes. with the rest of it yeah no it's, it's yeah. you know and there's there's tons of great little performances John Doe uh famous punk singer from X mm -hmm. John Doe plays the the first bartender who is who is uh fired and then pulls a knife on yes. Patrick Swayze because he wants his job back which is like a weird weird move um call he calls Swayze a chicken dick which is great um yes look it's just Kathleen you know, Wilhoyt I love yes yes, she's yes. In there. Yeah. um and like 
uh, and, and sings. And, and that yeah. is one moment where somebody does kind of do a meta thing of like, I didn't know she could sing. And you're like, it is weird. <laughs> it is weird yeah. that she's singing. Um, <laughs> do you know, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, that, that weirdly Roadhouse is based on a true story. Are you serious? Wow. I, I don't know if anybody has ever like said this out loud, but if you're from Missouri and you know these stories, okay. um, it absolutely is. Now, the part about the bartender who knows Kung Fu, that's not. Um, but sometimes movies are about something and then Hollywood gets layered on top of it. Right. So yeah. I'm going to it's not Jasper, Missouri, I believe. But there's a city in that area that had a man who was not a millionaire. He was a uh, a redneck kind of like somewhere between a, a low level criminal and a you know mentally ill person who shook down the town and was a uh, just a lawbreaker that everybody in the town was was, was terrified of. And this was mm-hmm. a few years before Roadhouse got made. And one day, and I'm sorry, I'm losing all the names because I just some thing about this now. Um, one day he was murdered in this in the city square. And nobody in the town ever said who did it. Cops mm. came in and he was shot like broad daylight, middle of the day. And and nobody talked. And it was the town kind of collectively decided, you know what? It's better. It's better yeah. that he was killed. And so out of all of the weirdness and you go, why is it set in Jasper, Missouri? What is this? And then you learn the story. You go, there's somebody somewhere this movie started out as a story about a, 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 a small town despot and a, and a town's decision to rise up and kill that person and then claim ignorance because it was done as a collectivity and, and all that. And that's the end of the film. Uh, but obviously again, like so much got layered on top of it that now it's a story about a, about a, a bartender who, if I recall, makes $500 a week or is it a night? Mm-hmm. I can't remember. I think it was a week. Yeah, I mean, back then, $500 a night would be, that's a lot of money. But, yeah. um, you know, who, um, and, and and God bless it, I think that, you know, that is a valid thing to do, is to take that movie and layer all that stuff on it, because it's this crazy popcorn movie that I, I literally have no idea how many times I've seen Roadhouse, but, like, starting in 1989 until now, probably at least as many times as there are years in between now and then. Like it's just, it's, it's so watchable. If you were going to be nitpicky, it really does slow down after Sam Elliott dies. Um, yeah. It, it loses some of its focus. It also message wise, I would say if you were going to dig into the themes of roadhouse, which I do not recommend that you do, <laughs> but if you're going to, it, it p- posits that he has this rage in him. Mm-hmm. That is a problem. And then at the end of the movie, he so he does not tear out Ben Gazzara's throat. I know. It's like all of a sudden he stops and you're like, okay. And then yeah. Ben Gazzara is immediately murdered by everybody else in the yes. room. So what is the, what possible growth or message? Again, don't care, not criticizing. I'm just yeah. saying, were you to try and decide that movies were judged by theme? Yeah. It's, sure, it's lacking, you know. Yeah. Um, you know what, Jordan? They were going to pick that up in the Sam Elliott sequel. They really should have. And they really, I mean it. I, I know why you said prequel, but they should have just made it a sequel and it should have just been like. Okay. Nobody just, explains it. Yeah. Never explain it. Just yep. have him just come back. You can He's kill him at the there. end of that one if you wanted and then do it again. <laughs> I don't care. Cause you like. You can get killed like a hundred times. It doesn't matter. Yes. It really doesn't. We're, yeah. and, and we've missed our moment. Um, I know we already talked about him being 42, but there's the age that we live in now, we allow people to do things at such 
older ages. Yeah. Um, and this is a little bit of an aside, but I just I also watched The Godfather 2 this mm-hmm. week, which I had not seen in a long time. And I was just the way that I was blown away by realizing that I am now older than Sam Elliott was when he made Roadhouse. And I'm that one really hurts. It like made me want to like, I don't know. There's nothing I can do <laughs> to be more manly. <laughs> but it just made me want to <laughs> just want to just make me more Sam Elliott, but it didn't work. Um, I also noticed that Hyman Roth in Godfather two, who was positioned as this old man who won't let go and is like denying death. It's they show his birthday cake and it says he's 67 years old on it. Only 67. <laughs> Only, like that would make him the junior Senator in most States. <laughs> in our country now you know pretty much yeah i mean like like it's just that's how much the world has changed and it's the same people it's just they're just they're not quitting their jobs and so Mm -hmm. everybody is like in the state of arrested development which is why i don't look like sam elliott and roadhouse that's my point is that it's (laughs) it's it's culture's fault um i tried a couple years ago to grow my hair out into one of those manes and it just doesn't do it it's just you got to be you got to be touched by the by the gods you know, I guess to get you have that. to have that voice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it helps. Yeah. He can even he does the thing where he pulls back the top of his hair and leaves the back of his hair down and yeah. it still looks cool. Like, I know most yeah. guys no, that would that would not work. I know. And women like we need a mirror and like a brush and mm-hmm. we have to it takes a, a couple tries. Sam just gets it. Yeah. He just gets it. It's He's like, just fuck there. Off. Come on. Yes. Yeah, it's it's yeah. pretty. It's it's so anyway. I, and I really uh, the the if you're in the market, the the Vinegar Syndrome, who has made a lot of great cult movies and done 4K scans of a lot of like you know yeah. Times Square porno films and things like that. They're starting to. I'm sure it's to help pay the bills. They're starting to do some really nice 4Ks of movies that um, like Roadhouse. Uh, they just did Showgirls. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, the the 4K of of Roadhouse is as pretty as Patrick Swayze. Like it's just like it's nice. Cool. So yeah. that's again not a paid endorsement. Just, just not a paid. Letting yeah. the people know. You know, I will say paid endorsement wise. Like you know, if you're listening to this podcast and your videos or vinegar syndrome or whatever, you know, I am losing my sponsor pretty soon sadly with dvd netflix so call me yeah there you go and if you're sam elliott at 42 call both of us we're saying yeah (laughs) yeah and we're gonna make a movie yeah 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 oh it'll be a movie you might die in it but you'll be back yes (laughs) and uh talking about hair and less successful but kind of still cool 80s hair late 80s we should just go right into black rain uh and it it does kind of hurt because it is Andy Garcia in that film. And Andy normally speaking of Godfather, he's in Godfather three has the beautiful hair while he's playing a cop. He doesn't have the super beautiful hair in this, but you do have uh, Michael Douglas kind of trying to look cool. Um, And he does look cool. He's, he's on a bike, you know, and uh, he says babe a lot. I posit that black rain is a love story between mm. our two men of uh, Michael Douglas and Annie Garcia who love each other so much they just cannot stop calling each other babe there is a babe supercut on YouTube that's one of my favorite things to watch from having like a shitty day I will cue it up 
maybe four times in a row. It's fine. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where if I go into YouTube, it's suggested to me as something to watch. So I do have a little bit of a problem. Yeah. But uh, Black Rain, a lot of fun. Is it the best movie on the planet? No, it is uh, not a great picture, but man, is it fun to watch. And I just have a ball watching every time. So talk to me about Black Rain. I mean, I think I was saying about this while watching it. You're right. It's not a it's not a great film. No. The way to make it a great film, and this is weird, is to turn the sound off um, because it is a gorgeous movie. It right, is a gorgeous yeah. film. Ridley Scott knows how to make a picture. And yeah, it, it's it, beautiful. I mean, this is this is you're entering into the the golden age of Jan de Bont as a cinematographer. Um, you know, between this and through like basic instinct, he was just making the prettiest, prettiest, you know, movies. And this is just, you know, I was there's the scene where they're searching the what the Sato's clubhouse. And it's got one of those great things from this era of the big industrial fan that is slowly turning <laughs> and it yes. just a beam of light is shooting through it. And it looks great. Um, at one point, the the Yakuza have a meeting at like the red factory. It's just a factory that makes red light. You can't tell me yeah. what they do in that place. Um, no. But it it looks gorgeous. And, yeah. and so... I mean, there's there's a lot of fun, and, and you turn off the, the sound, you lose the babes, which are very fun. And yes, oh, of course, and the shootout at the end in the field. I mean, it's just a stunning to look at film. Um, has one of the most garish, nightmarish um, killings of. Talk about these movies. We're like losing sidekicks here. Mm -hmm. Is what and it, it. Oh my god! And it even happens in Gleaming the Cube. Yeah, you lose somebody now. Bill and Ted. Uh, not gonna happen not gonna happen. but uh but you know one of the most uh hellish like thank goodness in roadhouse we don't see the death of sam elliott yeah that would be too big yeah. you wouldn't buy it first of all you wouldn't buy it like come no. on come on yeah who, who did like, that he who was in get? 20 sequels the guy doesn't <laughs> die that's right yeah no in black rain holy shit yeah it is um but you know it is an epic death that goes down and uh yeah it's it's a gorgeous film the kate capshaw character just makes me laugh like i don't know what she's doing there what is it, she doing in that movie was it like did somebody call in a favor did that's what i don't understand it's or, like i don't know what kate capshaw is doing in that film it's well uh, to me and it's kate, not really her fault like it's a badly written character it's she has all the, and you're right. It's not on Kate Capshaw. It's 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 a script problem. Is she has all the feelings to me of a studio note that was given either too late in the process or yeah. was given and they decided fuck it because <laughs> um, you know somebody said well he needs a love interest and it needs to be a white woman like somebody yeah. gave that note yeah and they throw Andy, her in Andy Garcia yeah we need yes. a chick yes. yes um and so she is just thrown in there she barely helps move the plot forward they have no chemistry none no um, and you don't even know what she's really doing in the club like you see that she speaks the language but she has no chemistry or it's like she's just sort of i don't know added into the film after it, it seems like a studio note or something uh, like I think you were telling me the word is buckets. Like we need a bucket. We need we need yes. a Kate Capshaw here. Yeah, we and, need uh, we need a 
it's yeah. the, the the theory is that it's like and this is a misogynistic theory it's not my theory it's like well you got the guy who wants to go see black yeah. rain at the movies <laughs> and he's got to be able to point at something to get his girlfriend to go and yeah. she couldn't possibly be interested in a crime film set in osaka japan like why would yeah. she be interested in that so you throw kate capshaw in as a, like a little a little like treat for her so she yes. can, so she and then she'll walk out of the movie angry um going <laughs> like that kate capshaw was not in that film um, no. <laughs> but uh you know who's great other than you know uh douglas is great he's you know he's really plays the ugly american to the hilt um, oh my gosh yeah and, and garcia he also plays a good nick you know who's kind of a jerk like <laughs> yes, uh, yes. <laughs> nick this was his well, nick era and and he is very prominently displayed as a producer of the film and, and you can yes. feel that in mm-hmm. the film um but oh he uh, has this cool moments like yes oh like, yeah. yeah don't yeah. pull it unless you're gonna use it or is, yes. you know. and uh you know I, i'm not putting down um ken takakura who plays the japanese cop but i i really do think like the highlight uh, of the japanese cast are are two uh yakuza leads yeah uh who are played by two great actors uh i'm sorry i i the, his name is uh, Tomisabura Wakayama, mm-hmm. uh, who plays the older Yakuza, yeah. the, the the one who's who's taking over. He is uh, a fantastic actor who's in tons of Yakuza films throughout the era, but also is probably best well known as Lone Wolf in Lone Wolf and Cub, the entire mm-hmm. Lone Wolf and Cub series. Uh, he's fantastic in this movie. Uh, and I also, uh, Yusaku Matsuda, yeah, who, who who plays Sato? And again, not a paid breaking. But yeah. I have this here. I I just got this the um, the game trilogy from Arrow, which he is the star of. There, oh. it's, it's a trilogy of of films from the seventies. Where uh, my description of it would be like if like you take ninety percent Parker and ten percent Elliot Gould from The Long Goodbye. Ooh, you just told me. Yeah. And uh, which makes it sound better than they are. They're fun movies. They're not great movies, but it's just like he is. He's got all of the elements of Parker, the the sociopathy and the toughness, and the uh, and he's just a hitman who does jobs. And uh, they're very misogynistic films, but um, but he also, but he just has just a little bit of like the shaggy haired nineteen seventies. Like uh, occasionally, he'll allow himself to get beat up or like feel like more of a loser and 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 then there's always some scene in these in all three movies of the trilogy where he works out for one day and now he's tough again um okay like the rocky montage essentially it's like the rocky montage but very clearly all takes place in one day okay and and so that's they just think you know you can lead if you're a really tough guy that's all it takes it's just one day of taking it real seriously but they are fun movies yeah yeah that's basically it but um they're both great. The scene like, that I like where they're in the red factory and then the scene right before the shootout at the end, they're both great. And, uh, it's Wakiyama, so sad that he passed on. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and I really have, uh, this movie made Wakiyama the, my, uh, most watched actor of the year so far. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've been doing, like I said, I've been doing a lot of y- Yakuza movies and, uh, and I've watched a couple of the Lone Wolf and Cub movies this year. So he's, uh on the come up with me right now so i i was i noticed that he was in it and uh yeah they're great and uh 
it's an interesting choice to set it in Osaka, not to- Tokyo. I'm not sure what they're. You know, that is an interesting decision. I was going to ask about that if if you knew, yeah, because I know you know Japanese film far more than I do, and yes. I mean, again, like I'm not an expert in this at all, but you know, Osaka is like sort of a second city to Tokyo. It is, yeah. it is, is considered like a great food place and, and, and very interesting, but there are clearly some moments where they're trying to capture that Tokyo vibe of like the, mm-hmm. the neon and the giant screens and the big, um, the big skyscrapers, but they're clearly yeah. like, it's not Tokyo. Like you can feel that it's smaller than Tokyo. So I don't know if it was about wanting to have you know, the references to Hiroshima, which I say, not even sure if Hiroshima and Osaka are close to each other. So forgive me if they're not, but I'm just trying to figure out what it was that made them choose, uh, uh, you know, Osaka. Maybe it was just like they thought it was different and they would. They might have. And it might have been, um, you know, the criminal underworld and how he is able to navigate through it a little bit. And might have been too dubious if it was in uh i mean it doesn't make a lot of sense like we said the kate capshaw character is like the guide i I don't understand yes um you know but it's great i think andy garcia is fabulous his line deliveries i mean they have to sell the babes but uh Andy Garcia has some of my favorite line deliveries. I will be going about my day and just minding my own business. And then all of a sudden in my head, well, you know, we've seen a shooting and a stabbing and it's been really just in your face stuff. And then Andy Garcia doesn't drop the macho bravado for like a second. It's like, mm. Joey, 911, babe, 911. And it just <laughs> yes. it kills me. And so like, I'll be driving my car and then all of a sudden, Joey, 911, babe. And you know, and then I'll just like lose it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I do think that's my love. favorite line. Favorite yeah. line in the movie is nine one one, babe. I mean, like, <laughs> yes. um, oh, and lose the Kmart tie, babe. Yeah. I love yeah. that one too. Yeah. Also, again, like just in the spirit of fun, because I'm not actually nitpicking the film, but there are two police officers who watch two Yakuza guys walk into a restaurant, hold guns, yes! and then murder a guy. And when it's done, they suddenly start acting like cops. You're like, that guys, would go down like that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the moment they pulled guns, you should have like inserted yeah. yourself. And, yeah. But they were kind of like, <laughs> I don't know. It's between the criminals. We don't get yeah. involved in that part. Like that's. <laughs> it's our lunch break, babe. Yes, yeah. babe. We're eating some. Joey pastas. did not bring out the the food in enough time, and like we're eating over here. Yeah, yeah. we're standing eating pasta, which is one of the least pleasant <laughs> things you can do. Um, Oh, God. Yes. Uh, Black Rain. um, Such a fun movie. I think because people associate it with me so much because I make a lot of jokes about the babe. um, I think people assume it's a better film than it is. Like so many people have watched this movie now in the last couple of years just because they associate it with me. And then like I'll get a message later like, Jen, it isn't really the it's like, of course it isn't, but it's fun. It's like Roadhouse. Like, you know, we're not solving world peace here. Yeah. yeah. I do mean what I said. Like, I was watching it this time and I was thinking, like, this would be such a great movie to have on at a bar. You know, when yeah. bars, like, throw a movie on with no sound and, and you would be mm-hmm. watching going, like, this movie's amazing. And I don't even know what it is. I think the plot's just a little stodgy. It's just, it doesn't flow really well. You, you don't really care that much and, and again these are all just like little nitpicky things i'm saying that that i think that's like that's where the movie falls apart um 
and and that's why maybe it's not a, a great movie even though it looks great and it's got a great cast and all that i think it's something yeah not, not you know and it is really funny because i was remembering uh last summer uh the guy that i have a crush on has this like place in the woods and in this place he has only a couple dvds and one of the dvds that he has is to live and die in la random but it's only a couple and so talking to him he's he saw the tweet about uh black rain and i'm like i have black rain i'll send you the dvd and i sent it and like his question is is it a good movie though and it like never even occurred to me is it a good movie like Right. As criteria to watch it. <laughs> like <laughs> it's an entertain, you know, it's entertaining. And it kind of goes with that to live and die in LA 80s vibe. And so I had to send that one along. And and then I was like going for 80s movies, recommending Thief and like, you know, better films. But <laughs> I love the question of <laughs> is it a good movie though? Never even occurred to me to like no. think about that. No. Like and what is a good movie? Yeah. It's it's interesting because, uh, you know, I think the difference between these movies and, and the bad movies of today is that there's just a certain ramshackleness, a certain roughness, a certain mm -hmm. ability for big feelings and big emotions and big swings to kind of come through. And, and they just what they they aren't is they're not boring and they're not noted to death. They have yeah. not. You know, yeah, it's ludicrous the number of times they say babe in that movie, but like yes. nobody made them go through and take it out. Like, <laughs> and I think a lot of the movies we see now are. And the Kate Capture thing makes no sense. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, honestly, not again, not a just Kate Capture, but I think you could have no, you, you cut her out of the film. Like literally, yeah. like take the cut that exists now. You probably could get there pretty <laughs> easily uh, where she's just not in the movie anymore. Yeah. I don't know how many people would feel the, the, the that they're missing. missing part. Yeah. yeah. Um, release the captcha cut poor woman <laughs> yeah but like that's like the thing about like this video store era and again if i'm in just engaging in pure nostalgia i apologize but like it's sort of like how back then you had to learn to love that slow song halfway through the album yeah that now now you never would listen to because you have the ability to delete it from the playlist yep and, and oftentimes those songs would wind up being your favorite and and mm -hmm. again maybe I'm just trying to like romanticize like a hardship. We work walk uphill both ways, but I do think there is some value in just like guys. Here's the stack of movies. Now go for you it. Know, yeah, that's your uncle your weekend. That's yeah. your weekend, or you know, there were also like the VHS tapes you owned, and yeah. you just like look. I've rewatched Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf is not a great movie. <laughs> it's really not a great movie, but God, no. did I love it back then. Um, yeah, and, and I do think there's some differences between. Teen Wolf and like the movies we're discussing today, which I think are, are more fun. Um, Teen Wolf's fine too. Who am I? I'm just saying that that era, the, yes. even though there were more movies being made then than there are now, I just, I feel so much more forgiving. And again, if that's just nostalgia, it is, but I do feel like there's something shaggy about them that is so yeah. appealing. Like there was just, it was powered by money. Yes, of course, people thought Roadhouse was going to make money. And but they it, were going for it a little they bit. They were more. going for it. Yeah. And, you know, there was, I was, was some of this cocaine, not on my half. I was a little kid, but on their behalf. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. Somebody involved in the making of Roadhouse was on cocaine the yeah. entire time it was being filmed. Yeah. It was just a nonstop, non, you know, like yeah. uh, cocaine party going on. Editing Black Rain. Let's have 4,000 more babes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. I love that we can edit on cocaine. Um, <laughs> 30 Rock joke. I sold it. But, um, yeah, and and so I think you know, 
I mean, this is a natural pivot if you don't care to like Bill and Ted's where. Yeah, go for it. Watching Bill and Ted's yesterday and just going, what a fucking. Uh, the thing is, I can picture the pitch. Yeah. I can picture the pitch and it's a great pitch. It's, mm-hmm. but it is so far beyond absurd. It really is. I it's mean, kind of like that story you say of like, uh, you know, in Hollywood, the most ridiculous, but don't run from it. Yes. Yes. Don't run from it. No, take it head on. They don't just yep. get a time machine so that they can it's get a, a report. Phone and get booth. Yeah. It's a phone booth. But also they're doing it because they are the messiahs of a future utopia. I know. And like, and, and like, you don't pitch- just stop there. It's not just history class. Yeah. No, it no. is like a the wild up, stallions. The yeah. wild stallions are the progenitors of a utopic future. Yeah. In which everything is magnificent. And and that it's such a funny idea. And I mean, again, is it a great movie? No. No. No, it is not. <laughs> is it incredibly fun to watch? Okay, yeah. it's very fun to watch. I don't know about incredibly fun. No. Um, you owe tremendous amounts. I mean, you can just try and imagine who else auditioned for both of oh, those God, roles yeah. and how much how much worse the movie would have been if any of those other people had gotten it. Yeah. Um, you know, this was the era where Keanu Reeves was not the biggest action star in the world, but mm-hmm. like, but people knew what he did. Well, this was also the year we talk about other movies came out this year that I watched all, all the time. Parenthood. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was the boyfriend. Yeah. He was the boyfriend and he's fucking fantastic in that movie. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then he, you know, he kind of wandered through the desert for a while when they didn't know what to do with him or they tried to make him do things that he didn't do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's not an insult to say that there are actors who have wide lanes and actors who have narrow lanes. Like mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves is a narrow lane actor, but boy, is he good when he's good. And he's so he's just lovable. You just love him. In yeah. This. And and Alex Winter, who so like great. Yeah. He's, fantastic and really kind of the only major film role that i can think of him having um yeah you know what always kind of threw me and this is a weird thing to like zero in on to me he looks like the opposite name i I feel like their names are should be switched that he should be ted yes he looks like a ted he should be bill yep it's just a name thing and I'm like, you know what? He doesn't look like a Bill and he doesn't look like a Ted. But it's just, I'm probably the one person who watches this movie and like zeroes in on, God damn it, the names. But otherwise, yes, a lot, um, a lot of fun. Yeah. He, uh, you know, I, no, okay. I first learned about him through through Bill and Ted's. But the other thing that I really know him for is uh, he directed a Butthole Surfers video back in the day called Welcome to Texas that was like, a thing that teenagers passed around on on bootleg VHSs back in the day that um uh, is he very do much freaked too. He, I was going to say, and then our <laughs> our our good friend Travis Woods uh, would would be furious oh, at us yeah. were we not to mention Freak, which has Keanu Reeves in it, um, and yes. it has at least one ardent defender in this world, and that is that is Travis Woods. Um, he made our pandemic movie club watch it. My my favorite story about that is Megan, who is Jordan's partner, actually walked in the room. Do you remember this while you were mm-hmm. watching this? And goes, "Is this what you for movie club?" 
Jen's not going to like it. And then like <laughs> left the room and she was right. I think I only made it like 20, 25 minutes into that movie. It's got some charms. I, I, I don't, yeah. I don't feel about it the way that, that Travis does, but I, you know, it's got some charms, but like that's, you know. Passionate odes to Keanu's performance as the dog faced boy. Yeah. He will, you, nobody will make you love a movie he loves like Travis does. No. But I'm, you know, but like Alex, when it, like he has a new Frank Zappa, relatively new Frank Zappa mm-hmm. documentary that I really want to watch. Like he's an interesting guy. And he really is. Yeah. The other movie from this era that I know him from at all, though it's a small role, is Lost Boys. Lost Boys. You um, know, you could imagine Kiefer auditioning for this. Uh, speaking yeah. of the Lost Boys, I bet yes. he was one of the people that was like in the conversation. Yeah. Right. Like a Kiefer Sutherland and Emilio Estevez, somebody. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yep. I mean, who knows? Maybe Emilio Young Estevez. Guns. Yep. Young yeah. Guns. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Casey Samascio. Just draw them all yes. in there. But like, <laughs> um, but but these two guys are perfect. John Nelson. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John Nelson's not bad. <laughs> I could see John Nelson doing this. But like, yeah. um, Although by this point, Judd Nelson's career had fallen off a cliff. The, one true. of the movies I thought about pitching for this this episode was his serial killer film, Relentless, oh, okay. uh, which is not a good movie, which is why I didn't pitch it <laughs> I had, for us to do. I've never seen that one. Actually, when you like were listing movies, I'm like, I don't know that one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, some of the other ones you chose, like, or were thinking of, like Blue Steel, of course I knew, but I'm like, I don't know, Relentless, but now Relentless I know why. Is- it's not, it's not good. I believe it's a Bob Clark film. I could be making that part up, but uh, I don't, I remember it made a big impression on me because mm-hmm. it was Judd Nelson as a serial killer, but I, okay. I don't think it was that good. But no, you know, you know, this movie, it has so little, like, it, all of the jokes, with the exception of, of Freud, everybody else, the jokes that they make about the historical figures are jokes that Bill and Ted themselves would get. Like, they're not, like, kind of pitching anything to like any no. adult in the room like there is no like if you know that so- so- that socrates is pronounced socrates. johnson is like one of my favorite jokes <laughs> i mean there, there are like a couple of nods to the fact uh so like there are a couple of actual sigmund freud jokes in the film yeah yeah that, yeah like, but like abraham About Lincoln, your is, mother yeah. yeah your mother or, or this must be a dream or like things yeah, like yeah. that like like they actually make references that like like that I didn't get the first time I saw this movie sure. and, and 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 get as an adult, but like not for Beethoven, not for not for no. Genghis Khan, not for Billy the Kid. Um, <laughs> none of them. They're just they are they are cartoon characters. And again, that's not a criticism of the film. It's mm-hmm. um it's just a fun, like romp that you know, there are there are there are movies the situation is so ludicrous, but it's just about the fact that you could put Bill and Ted into any situation yep. and just want to see what they do and see how they react to it. And what yeah. is the funny little thing that they're going to, what is their weird take that is it there? Those are, those are what you call like perfect comedic characters or ones where you could, you want to go see them do laundry. You want to go see them at a French yep. restaurant, you know, like you can put them in any situation and, and there you go. They're, they're on fire and they're yeah. great. Um, also my great. original like memory of this movie was my brother renting it to go babysit next door and uh the neighbors jeff and cindy were like what movie did you bring over and he said bill and ted's excellent adventure who's in it my brother bill and ted <laughs> <laughs> it's a good bill and ted joke <laughs> you know and it is it seems like a bill and ted joke and uh this week i i needed a laugh and so i watched wayne's world too 
And mm. this was before we chose this movie. So then the next night I rewatched uh, Bill and Ted's and I was trying to think like which came first. And actually, like they talk about the year 88 in this movie and Wayne's World was like on Canadian broadcasting, like a TV skit or something in 87. And I think it was probably just one of those things where two people had a similar idea of, you know, I'm not really sure what was first, but it I was, was in the air. I was thinking about that from the context of like what a Bill and Ted movie that wasn't a remake, but if, if somebody just came up with the idea for two guys yeah. who are 18 years old and are, are lovable losers, what that would look like today. And it's hard to figure out, I yeah. think, because I, I don't, and maybe it's just that I'm old that I don't know what those figures would look like. But I do think there was something about like the slacker era, which are people yeah. who were like kind of raised by hippies. Um, yep. and, and, or, you know, products of the seventies who were lost and on drugs and charming about it that you see starting with those two. And then like, uh, through but Beavis and Butthead yep. that like that you could make a charming movie about two white guy, young losers who were lovable mm-hmm. and that kind of stopped. Not, it kind of yeah. stopped. And I, I'm not claiming any kind of like, Oh, because of the PC thing. I'm not saying that. I'm no. just saying like, that is I think an it's era a generational thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And even like the way that I mean it was a few years later we we loved dazed and confused even though it yep. was a period piece but it was a period piece that was to me this is kind of high school years I had was the closest thing to my high school years I had ever seen put on film even though yeah uh it was set in the past like there was just a it's interesting like there are no references I believe in Bill and Ted's to them being on drugs. No. Yeah. I mean, the the archetype is that they are clearly on drugs, but yes. there are no, it's same with Wayne's World. Um, there yeah. are no, I mean, in Wayne's World, the original one, they kind of chastise one of their friends for drinking. Like, oh yeah, man, yeah. he's drunk. Isn't he the drunk one? Yeah. Um, and you're partied out again. Yeah. Yes. Um, so there is like this kind of sort of weirdly clean cut um, yeah. uh, thing about it. And, uh, and they're, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, another great uh, Freud joke in 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 the film is when Freud offers to analyze uh, Bill, he goes just a slight Oedipal complex uh, yes. because he is lusting after his stepmom throughout yeah, the film. Exactly. So that's exactly. But but it's a pretty they're pretty chaste. Like their mm-hmm. romances are pretty chaste. Like these are sort of like hippie slacker yeah. whatever people denuded of of drugs and sex yeah when they get the princesses or when they show up they kiss them on the cheek or you know yes. that kind of thing and ask them yeah. to prom yes ask them to prom or where did you get the outfits like they compliment them and yeah 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 there's something i mean <laughs> this was you know john hughes some of those movies they took it a lot further but this was a little bit different yeah and of course, um, talking about eras and different generations raising different kids, that brings us to Gleaming the Cube, which um, I I remember seeing because like I remember the skateboard. I don't know if you were a big skateboarder, but I remember this era in the late 80s where in suburbia, you would spend your summers like outside watching all the boys of the neighborhood uh, skateboard. We had kids uh, from the high school that would build various ramps and they would always get more and more complex and then they would give away their ramps and like my brother got a hand-me-down ramp and you know and you'd see people bite the dust on the skateboards and it was Mm -hmm. always really cool um, to watch the skate 
board kids. So I remember this coming out. I remember like having it recorded uh, off of TV at some point in like the early 90s, but I had not seen it since. So this was the first time. Um, it was a little bit slow. I won't lie about that, but you know what? It still kind of held up. I love the idea of like a kid solving a crime, like trying to use their own, um, you know, uh, know how and figure out and you know, adults not really following through. And uh, it's one I was going to ask you because you probably know a little bit more about it. It seems like it was maybe shot a few years earlier, or it just seems like it compared to like what Christian Slater was looking like at around this time. And also it has um, the actor from Drugstore Cowboy in it. Max Perlich. Max Perlich, who's who's great. He's in all of these movies around this time period. But so he looks a lot younger and I could be wrong. Maybe they just looked younger when they shot this. But that's. That's interesting. I don't know about that specifically, but now that you say it, because this is the same year Heather's came out and he does look younger in this than he does in Heather's. But that, at that age, that could have been a one year. Yeah. Uh, Gab, you know, it's funny you, you brought up Max Perlich. One of my other ideas I was I was uh, toying around with when we were coming up with themes was just do a Max Perlich episode. But he was in so many good movies. But yeah. I, Pretty sure we've talked about Rush on this podcast before. Um, um if we I haven't with uh Bill. Oh, Actually, okay. Perlich was in two of the movies I talked about on our Jennifer Jason Lee episode. We did Rush and we did Georgia. All right. Both of those. And uh I mean, beautiful girls we watched a million times like uh growing up in the nineties. And so like I saw Perlich in a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. no, I I love I love Perlich. Um yeah. Yeah, and and and, and drugstore cowboys is obviously amazing, an yep. amazing movie. But um, no, you know Kelly uh, Lynch, uh, we're tying it all together. There you go. Yeah, it, it you know, fuck me, and you always make me drive. I love that line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hadn't seen this movie in a really long time, and mm -hmm. um, the thing about this movie that I find there's two things. Like, it was filmed, and you're right. Maybe it was a little early. It was filmed at a moment where they could have as their stunt people. Literally the greatest skateboarders who've ever lived. I know. Um, between Tony, Tony Hawk, Tony Stacey Hawk, Peralta, right? Stacy Peralta was um, second unit director of this. Jesus. Film. Uh, and then uh, you know uh, Ronnie Mullen, who is maybe the greatest skater who ever lived and invented mm -hmm. most of the street skating tricks that people use. He is the he's the stunt guy for the scenes, like the scene that they end the movie with, where they go, "Okay, let's just show some more skating," and he's that's that's Rodney Mullen basically when he when you think that um he's gleaming the cube like when he's like <laughs> in the construction site and just you know bouncing on one wheel or anything like that, that's all mm -hmm. Rodney Mullen when uh when Kristen Slater's character gets on the half pipe that's all Tony Hawk uh both of them fucking awful wig terrible wig oh my um, god that I they know. put on both of them to try and look like Kristen Slater um <laughs> So, you know, that the the skating is great. My I agree with you, it's a slow film. And my other big like critical note of it would probably be it could use more skating. And I mean that it really could. I agree. It really could, because that's like a big high point. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't know why I think they probably had a very hard time keeping it in the plot, you know? That could um, be there is one shot. I, I think the script and the performances and the skating are on one level, and sadly the directing is not on that level. I think that's my, you know, that's the problem with yes, the film. Yeah, I agree with you. 
there is one shot in this film that I think is fantastic, which is the shot where Christian Slater is is clinging to the sports car on the highway and uh, Tony Hawk and, and Max Perlick and the gang are on the other side of the of a semi truck. And and he lets go of the car and then slides underneath the trailer uh, the to the other car. And it's just done in one shot. I don't know. They had to have had Christian Slater on some kind of rig or something, but it's a, yeah. it's a truly like thrilling shot. But um, the rest of it's uh, and some of the skating is is pretty well shot. And that's probably Stacey Peralta. Um, but the thing that I think really makes it worthwhile and why I would tell people to go back and watch it is. Um, so this movie was written by Michael Tolkien, who also um, wrote. Amazing. Yeah. yeah amazing. The player. Mm-hmm. the player and deep cover. And this is a film about like the underpinnings of the right wing conspiracy in this country and Iran Contra and the Cold War. And it's there. It's so much in the underpinnings of this film that my assumption is that Michael Tolkien wrote at some point a very different version of this movie. Ooh, that that would be an interesting conversation. Yeah, that that maybe didn't even have skateboarding in it, Mm -hmm. because this is a movie about right wing activists, including a man who's almost certainly in the CIA, although he's never named as such. um, London or London or whatever his name is, the white guy. The white guy is the bad guy. Um, Mm -hmm. who is funneling, this is a story about people funneling weapons to right-wing guerrillas inside communist Vietnam uh, in the middle of the Cold War. Like, that's what the plot of the movie, it's such a weird thing for for a teen movie to be about. And not only that, but there's so many little things like um, that just point to like a a deeper story that they just hint at. Did you notice that uh, Christian Slater's adopted brother was murdered um first of all he was murdered by somebody uh who has been trained in torture techniques obviously yeah yes. because he's like i've done it before and i've done it before me? yeah who taught him that well exactly you know at another point we are introduced to a policeman who speaks vietnamese because he was not just a non-vet but they make a point of saying he was in- intelligence now, i don't know if you know what intelligence did in vietnam yeah. but if anybody Ooh. wants to know just google uh, operation phoenix and and read it <laughs> um but those aren't like those aren't accidents uh, the, um the the father figure who is sort of put forward as like the tragic villain of the film um has he has a lighter that he owns that was given to him by the us ambassador mm-hmm. so again we're dealing with like the intelligence community we're dealing with torture techniques we're dealing with uh, american intelligence agencies in Vietnam dealing with smuggling of weapons internationally. Uh, his brother was murdered. I don't know if you noticed this at the atomic age hotel. Ooh. Uh, which by the way, appears to be a gorgeous piece of like a uh, fifties architecture. It's a very cool looking when they, when they go to the lobby, it, it looks very cool and space agey, but it's the atomic age hotel. And then like the last little piece of it that really brought it together for me is Max Perlich's room, which is a bomb shelter. Oh my goodness, Jordan. See, this is why, you know. Right? So this like is why people love you. Like, <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's I mean, that's it's all there. It, it there <laughs> You're is like, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. No, I was just I was watching going like, oh my God, there's like there's so much going on. And just barely this the edge of this of this film that is like trying. And again, when you say it's Michael Tolkien who wrote Deep Cover, which is a movie about 
the CIA complicity in the drug trade, which again was a wolf in sheep's clothing of it's just mm -hmm. a cop movie, right? And mm -hmm. this is one, again, that I feel like there was a more biting, more direct version of this script that kind of got watered down so that they never really get into why they're smuggling weapons to Vietnam. No. That's not brought up. I mean, they, but they are, I believe, called like the, the Vietnamese something anti-communist league or something like that. They I mean, are. That's, yeah. Yeah. So again, you're into this real, like, those are organizations that are funded by the CIA to mm -hmm. undermine, you know, <laughs> countries that, that, that. Yeah. So I don't know. There's something about these like OC punks that, um, that Christian Slater is a part of, um, being politicized uh, famously oc punk is is a, a very apolitical brand of punk you know the this is the place that births is will birth blink 182 you know like um even like you know you have the vandals who who had like anarchy burger hold the government which is like the extent of like how oc punk can get political i'm being a little facetious but like but like the to see these guys kind of get radicalized and you see it christian slater um has a couple of his wardrobes really interesting so he has an elvis shirt he wears a lot but it's uh it's jailhouse rock elvis which i think is interesting mm -hmm. um and then he has both a crass shirt and a crass jacket now crass is actually a very militant left-wing punk band from england who uh, would be so i don't know there's like again it's just all these like little flashes and hints of like something yeah. being talked about um that. The Elvis thing for me, I was kind of wondering if they were echoing the clash a little bit. Yeah. There, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um yeah. and uh there's just like, like I said, there's just it's not it's like a it's almost like a homeopathic dose of this, you know, where it's just it's almost been completely diluted out of the system, but it's still there. Yeah. And 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 you can see it, and it just makes me wonder how much of this I'm projecting, how much of this was, was, was Michael Tolkien's intent. Cause again, if it was just some other guy, I wouldn't maybe be pushing these things as hard, but like, if there's one thing that's clear, Michael Tolkien tax these things in, in, in Hollywood. So like, I just, I don't know. I, 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 I made me want to watch it again pretty soon and just pay attention to like that storyline and see what is on the table, what yeah. isn't there, you know, um, Maybe pick up the phone to Michael Tolkien a little bit. I guess it could. Is he still, <laughs> he's still alive? He is, yeah. He just did that uh, show about the making of The Godfather. Yeah. Oh, that was him. Okay, well, maybe yeah. I will. Maybe I will hit him up and uh, and just ask him about the political undercurrents yeah. present in the Christian <laughs> Michael, Slater Jordan. vehicle. Maybe yeah. Indeed, man. Yeah. Hey, well, who knows? Who knows? But like, yes. um, and again, you know, I... I you could, I've watched this movie multiple times as a teenager and didn't go, you know what? I think this is actually about, um, <laughs> but it is there. And it's, it's, it's very interesting to me. And I, that really, that and the skating, I think are the two things. And by the way, also Christian Slater, people don't talk about him as, as a teen actor. I feel like maybe he wasn't in his teens when he was doing some of these movies. And I know like the, the knock on him back then was, Oh, he's just doing a Jack Nicholson impression or something. But yeah. He's he so good. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And what he is that is so hard for people to pull off is he is actually cool. He is. He is. He is like wildly charismatic. Like if I think about this era of actor and their age, I think of like River Phoenix 
and Christian Slater. And like, there's only a couple really yeah. that kind of have the same sort of vibe. Yeah. And, you know, he really, again, I talk about him as a teen actor because I feel like once he, he aged out of playing teenagers, because he does this, he does Heathers, which he's fantastic in. And then he does mm-hmm. pump up the volume that is like, again, in another actor's hands, that movie stinks. And I, I think yeah. not everybody loves it as much as I do, but like, I think he's fantastic in that movie. And mm-hmm. I think, um, he sells teenage rebellion in that sort of, you know, Marlon Brando, what do you got mode yeah. of like, He's just rebelling. He is mm-hmm. the teen who is who has seen the world around him. Um, it kind of does go back to that idea of, of Bill and Ted of, of these like people back then. And I I aspire to be one and I guess kind of became one of like one of these people who like maybe they didn't have a political bent to them, but they just knew what they were seeing around them was wrong. That mm-hmm. they were being raised in this like environment that looks nice and is clean and isn't that have that much crime in it. They look mm-hmm. around it and they just see that it's it's wrong. And I I that has a great deal of appeal to me. And I do think, you know, that I just thought Christian Slater was cool. And I watch it now. And I go, no, he was. He he was he pulling was. this off. Yeah. Um, one Absolutely. other little thought about this movie, because I think something, if it had been made two or three years later something that would have really brought it up is what's missing from this film is what they did to get the real skateboarders into the film. They mm-hmm. should have done with a soundtrack. The soundtrack is, is like bad eighties. I agree with you. Yeah. It could it, have been a lot cooler. Yeah. If they had done what, what they would have done two or three years later, when you start getting into that, that pump mm-hmm. up the volume, the crow judgment night, natural born killers era of just like tons of really cool indie rock yeah. that you could have, put through all of those scenes i think it would have been a, a again if i had the time and the wherewithal yeah. to do an all an alt cut of gleaming the cube with like cool punk music would be a fun thing to do but um and, and with all the political aspects of mm-hmm. it laid in very hardcore yes. those are my plans that's you know we'll see as long as the strike goes on this might happen yeah you might <laughs> yeah. get a new release of gleaming the cube mm-hmm. videos tributors like give them a call michael yeah. tolkien you know we're gonna have this is gonna, happen. gonna happen the jordan cut i love yes it. Yeah. yes release the jordan cut well are there any other 89 movies that you want to recommend uh people should seek out i mean I mean, if, if we're talking about this style of movie, I gotta, I gotta call out, um, Cyborg. Um, you know, that's Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, anti-utopian film, much like Black Rain. It's a movie that might be improved by turning the sound off, but it is, uh, it's Albert Pion. And uh, I think that's how you say his name. I hope it is. Apologies if not. Um, it is dumb and sleazy, but like also incredibly fun, like kind of bad badly done Mad Max, but with like, you know, lots more spinning jump kicks and things like that. Yeah. Um, Everybody wins with that. Yeah. uh, A movie that I love from this era uh, and I was too young for it at the time, but I still loved it was, um, was War of the Roses. uh, Another Michael Douglas film. Yeah. Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito directed. Kathleen Turner. Turner. Just a great black comedy from that era that, you know, that's another genre that doesn't get made. I don't know how you feel about that film, but I, uh, I love it. Um, and if you want to go real video store, you want to go real video store, check out Blood of Heroes. Do you know okay. Blood of Heroes? No. It's a Rucker Hauer and Joan Chen. And it is a very dystopian future in which everybody lives in the desert. Everybody wears nothing but rags. And everybody's free time is based on a roving nomadic sports game 
involving basically it's basically football played with a dog skull and Rutger Howard runs a group that are successful. I believe they're called juggers, if I recall, and they go from town to town and they play. And if they win, they get, you know, some money and they can make it to the next town. And then Joan Chen comes out as like a, she's brilliant at this game and they decide with her, they can go and try and get under the surface where all the people with money and power live under the surface. And oh, it, is wow. a, it is a ludicrous movie. I'm going to have uh, to watch this. Yeah, it's very fun. It's just like, yeah. I mean, a lot of it is made up of watching this made up game where people bleed and get cut and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Rutger Howard and Joan Chen having like a not very convincing romance, if I recall. <laughs> um, but again, that's like that's the idea. It's just like this this idea of, of just loving movies as movies and and sitting down with a pizza and, and some grape soda. I, clearly, these are my madeline's but like um you know pick your own um so yeah i mean 89 is a great year and i do think it's also a year where you can see the changes that come almost instantly in the 90s um and most of these movies wouldn't get made two or three years later you know so it's, it's a nice little video store era before that era that you're talking about of the indie films and now we're, mm-hmm. I'm just renting either Tarantino movies or movies Tarantino told me to rent. Um, <laughs> and I will discover John Woo and things like that. But yeah. like, uh, you know, absolutely. But, yeah. But, yeah. But this era for me, I, in 1989, I was not watching indie films. This is what I was watching. So yes, lots of fun ones. Jordan, this was such a blast to like tackle all of these movies. Some of the ones that are like so bad, they're good or so good. They're, you know, yeah. They're just, they're good memories. They're video store memories. They're when we were kids. Absolutely. So I want to thank you so much for doing this. You'll have to come up with another topic and come back. I mean, you can pick another year. It can be a new mm. video store series. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. It's sort of a fun idea. Yeah, we, no, absolutely. Anytime. Love to, come. Love to come. Love to talk. Yes. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.